and I remember them just yelling at me, telling me I was a dodgy keeper, and the fans were just on top of you the entire game, and and it's funny because not a lot of my family are big soccer people, but I remember telling my father-in-law, if you want to fall in love with soccer and what soccer can be, come watch us when we play in Portland. Welcome to the Sports Business Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Berger. You can find the Sports Business Radio Podcast 15 years, over 600 episodes featuring conversations with the biggest names in sports like David Stern, Pete Carroll, Chris Everett, Jeannie Buss, Michael Vick, Andre Iguodala, Mark Cuban, Tom Rinaldi, Charles Barkley, Jack Nicholas, Lindsey Vaughn, Eric Spolstra, Aaron Rodgers, and Steve Nash on iTunes or at sportsbusinessradio.com. Subscribe, rate, and review the Sports Business Radio podcast on iTunes, and everyone who posts a review on iTunes will be eligible to be selected to join us in our studio audience at one of our Sports Business Radio roadshows presented by Boingo. And we're also on Spotify now, so you can find us there. Follow us in between podcasts on Twitter at SB Radio. We've been named a top 50 followed by Forbes.com for three consecutive years. And on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. Well, thanks for joining us on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. I'm joined in studio, as always, by our executive producer, Griggs. How's it going? You know, it's good. It's kind of a winter wonderland here in Portland today as we're recording. So that's kind of, you know, fun. Yeah, you know, it's weird. Uh, I've been in Arizona last week and it was snowing in Tucson, which uh, (laughs) I've never seen before. Right. And then I was in Los Angeles yesterday on a stealth mission that we will uh, Mm -hmm. announce Mm -hmm. soon. I did sit down, though, at Manhattan Beach Pier and interview Olympic swimmer Kara Lynn Joyce, our friend, and it was so nice in Manhattan Beach, <laughs> and as you'll hear, like, we have seagulls flying by, <laughs> like, there's some great ambiance on the it. beach, and you'll see the picture that yeah, I post. You are sending me pictures last night, I'm sitting, it's 25 degrees in yeah. my house, and you're like, I'm on the beach. <laughs> yeah, so I got home at, like, midnight last night from L.A. and drive home in a mini blizzard, <laughs> and I'm like... What did I do? I left the sunny warmth yeah. of Manhattan Beach, even though, as I joked with Carolyn, uh, everyone down there, if it turns like 65, you right. would think it's an Arctic freeze. <laughs> yep. They've got the big coats on and the boots and the four wheel drive comes out. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm going back to like 23 degrees tonight. Yep. So Jeff Atnella, the goalkeeper of the Western Conference champion Portland Timbers of Major League Soccer, is our guest this week. Really diverse guy. I love athletes that are forward-thinking. They think about life after their playing career is done. Jeff is one of those guys. Uh, he is a children's book author. He just started a podcast. He's got a great personality. And, by the way, he's a terrific goalie. So, from... Being an entrepreneur to taking us inside the mindset of a goalkeeper. Because, Griggs, I think goalkeeper is one of those positions. It's kind of like place kicker in the NFL. Yeah. Pretty lonely position. But with goalie, like, you got to throw your body on the line. Yep. You, you know, when it's PKs, we talk about when it's PKs and it's just you and the striker. That is pressure right there. Like, to me, that and sitting over like a five-foot putt to win the Masters or... 
being at the free throw line with one second left to win a game, like those are the most pressure packed situations in sports. Well, you think about a goalie, probably 90% of the game, he's not doing anything. Right. But that 10% he is, is yeah. the most important part of the game. Yeah. I mean, it comes down to him and the striker and the ball and, you know, getting it out. And he, and he run, you watch a goalie and, and especially in Major League Soccer and in World Cup and stuff, they really control the show. I mean, he's telling yeah. all his defense where to go. He's kind of the coach on the field, which is kind of fun. So yeah, Jeff's a great guy and it's a fun interview today. So before we get into that, I want to cover a few topics since our show last week. Number one, uh, you know, I'm sitting in Arizona. I'm watching ESPN, the heavily hyped Duke versus University of North Carolina game. You've got President Obama there. You've got Spike Lee. I mean, a lot of people in the crowd. Tickets were going for almost $3,000 per ticket. And less than a minute in the game, Zion Williamson blows out his Nike shoe, twists his knee, doesn't return, and hasn't returned to the game since. Sports Illustrated called me this week, and they interviewed me about the marketability of Zion. And, Griggs, here's what I said, basically, is I think, you know, assuming he's healthy and he doesn't have more severe damage than Duke is telling us or the doctors are telling us about his knee and he's going to be fine, I think he's the most heavily touted number one pick to come into the league since LeBron. And I think his shoe deal, again, if he's healthy, is going to be in that 90 to $100 million range that we saw LeBron get when he came directly out of high school and he was heavily hyped. I think Zion's an above-the-rim player. He's an athletic guy. If he were to get drafted by the Knicks or the Bulls or looks like the Lakers are going to be in the lottery, if he's in a big market, now he's just Godzilla. He's a monster, marketing-wise. But... What's going to happen now is I thought, and this is what I told Sports Illustrated, Nike was the heavy leader in the clubhouse to sign Zion to his pro deal. And it's because Coach K is one of the big ambassadors mm-hmm. for Duke. Hell, they have a one million square foot building shrine on the Nike campus here in Oregon for Coach K. So heavy influence from Coach K for Zion, and then Zion's wearing Nike gear this year. So, like, he gets to try out their gear. He's not an Adidas. He's not an Under Armour. So, Nike leader in the clubhouse. Now this happens, and I think it narrows the gap. And if you're Adidas or you're Under Armour, you're like, hey, look, you don't want that happening again. This could be career ruining for you. You need to be in our product, and here's why. But then Nike... I think now has to pay more than they were going to to get Zion because they need to say, Zion, we need you in our product because we need to show everyone that even though that happened, you have such faith in Nike product that you still signed with us. But I think it's going to cost him probably an extra $25 million to get him to say, all right, I'm going to believe in you that this won't ever happen again and that I'll be safe in your shoes. This was a one-off fluky situation, but uh, all signed with you. I still think Nike is the leader in the clubhouse, but just like coaches smear other coaches in recruiting, you don't want to go to that school. That coach is doing that. That <laughs> thing is doing that. They're going to go on probation. I think there's that in the shoe wars as well, and you can... you can bet that Adidas and Under Armour are going to use the Nike blowout to their advantage in trying to recruit Zion. 
It's just crazy. I mean, yeah, a fluke thing like that happens, and it changes the whole landscape of the whole business. Right. It's crazy. I mean, just re- as soon as that happened, you're reading about Nike's losing stock and all this and everything. It just it, Twitter blew up, obviously. Yeah. The video's everywhere, and it's just it becomes a whole nother vibe that you weren't even thinking about a minute before it happened. Well, and I also told Sports Illustrated, much like golfers who depend on their equipment and their ball so heavily for performance... If you're a basketball player, you're depending on your shoe, right? You do not want your shoe blowing out. I know guys that have signed with, I won't mention the companies, but let's say some some Chinese shoe companies that aren't of the same ilk of Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, performance-wise, and they've done the money grab, and you know what? They're a little concerned about, (laughs) is this shoe going to support me? Is it going to perform at the highest level like some of those other more proven products have? You don't want to have that same worry if you're a player stepping into a Nike shoe. So it's going to be interesting to see how this turns out. I still think Nike will market him most heavily. I think they'll pay the extra money and get him. I still think they're the leader in the clubhouse, but it's going to cost them more than it would have if this had never happened. Our next topic I wanted to discuss, Griggs, call us fortune tellers. When Buker was on the show a few weeks ago, we talked about how the second half of this season could go for the Lakers, and specifically LeBron. So LeBron didn't get his clutch sports brother, Anthony Davis, from the Pelicans. All the guys that were mentioned in those rumors are still his teammates, and it's awkward, right? We saw that picture of LeBron on one end of the bench and everyone else on the other end of the bench. And what's happening now is the Lakers are losing, there's finger-pointing, and the arrival of sulking, brooding, passive-aggressive LeBron is now here. And I think it's a downhill slide for the Lakers the rest of the way. I think it's unfortunate for them. This would be the first time that LeBron has ever missed the playoffs. But in the Western Conference, I don't know that they have enough time to uh, sneak into the playoffs. And, you know, if you're LeBron, you're older this is a lost season for you, so to speak. It's got to be pretty frustrating, and I think we're seeing that and hearing that now from him. He also had that pretty significant injury, too. Missed, what, 20 games or whatever it was? I mean, that I still don't feel like he's probably 100%. He's playing a little timid, but still, it's like you feel that same vibe when he was with Cleveland trying to get rid of Tyron Lue and kind of the whole, like, I'm in control, I want to push this people around, this and this. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of an ugly vibe coming out of L.A. right now. Yeah, I don't buy the he's still hurt thing. He yeah. had a dunk the other night That's where true. he went over a bunch of Rockets players and, you know. It's an excuse. Playoff. LeBron is now activated. <laughs> That's the other thing that I hate is, you know, he has reached some really impressive milestones lately. For instance, he just became the only player in NBA history to, I think, have like 10,000 assists and, you know, he's fifth in the uh, history of the league in scoring. Great stuff. But, you just got your butt kicked, and you're congratulating yourself on Instagram. And he's done this after losses. And, and what I've said on Twitter is you would never see Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, or even his boss, Magic Johnson, congratulating themselves on a milestone, much less doing it after they just got routed on social media. And, yes, social media was not around when those guys are around. But I just don't like the vibe of, you know, it's me, 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 my accomplishments, I'm the king. And I'm trying to get all this done for myself. But I think it's going to be a downhill slide the rest of the year. Uh, we'll see what happens. The last story that we'll cover before getting to our interview with Jeff Atanella of the Portland Timbers, Robert Kraft. This was 
an odd one, Griggs, yeah. and it's very sensitive, but a very graphic police report came out. And essentially, uh, Robert Kraft is accused of going to an Asian massage parlor. And let's just say that massage was not the only thing taking place. <laughs> and, you know, the deeper issue here is child trafficking is a huge problem in our country. And, you know, people can go, well, that's what athletes and rich people do, and it's not a big deal. And I think it's a really bad look for Robert yep. Kraft. I yep. think it's a bad look for the Patriots. I think it's a bad look for the NFL. It's going to be interesting to see what happens to Robert Kraft. The most severe penalty I guess he can get is a year in jail. He's probably more likely going to get fined in community service. You're worth $6 billion. Why... Are you doing this? You're 77 years old. Why are you doing this? You know, I talk in pro-athlete locker rooms all the time to athletes, to coaches, to owners. You're in the spotlight. You've got to use good judgment. This is terrible judgment. Yes, he's single. He's not married. His wife died. I'm sure it's been really rough for him since his wife died. I, I want to be sensitive to that. But it still doesn't allow you to go out and commit what is an illegal act. And again, you're a high-profile person. Why are you going to a strip mall in Florida to do this when, you know, not to be crude, if you really wanted this done, you're worth $6 billion. You could go pretty much anywhere in the world yeah. and in privacy have something like this done. You don't need to go to the strip mall. You know, you're on camera. They've got him on video. This was a sting operation. And Again, terrible look for the the NFL. It'll be interesting. You know, I, I'm starting to feel like Robert Kraft is in that Al Davis, uh, yep. Donald Sterling kind of. They're older. They don't have all their marbles anymore. <laughs> and as I said with Al Davis in his later years, it might be time to take away the keys to the car. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, When this first came out, it almost was weird enough where I'm like, that can't be a real headline. You know, it's like, yeah. you're like, wait, what? In a strip mall in Florida? What the heck is yeah. Robert Kraft doing down there? Right. And you're right. It's like, uh, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's one of those like no-brainers like, what are you thinking, man? And especially you're coming off a Super Bowl win. You're in kind of in the vibe, the media. Well, you did, one you're of right these there. was on the day of the AFC yeah, championship. Exactly. I mean, oh, I'm going to stop by the strip mall and, <laughs> and have this done before I Crazy. go to the AFC championship. Like, what's running through your mind? And again, we've seen him do some odd stuff. So Jonathan Kraft, his son, has really been running the team for a number of years. He's the president. I wouldn't be surprised if the league said, look, Robert, we're not taking the team away from the Kraft family. Yeah. We're going to suspend you or you've got to just go away and be in the background now and let your son run the team. You know, if you guys win a Super Bowl, you can come out and wave and, and say hello. But yeah, we can't have you front facing anymore because every time people see you, it is going to relate to this. And this, Griggs, how many times have we talked about this oh, on yeah. this show? Yep. Joe Paterno, yep. you know, all the people. It You can have a great first three and a half quarters of your life <laughs> in the last quarter, last half quarter. Yeah. If you have a major mistake like a Joe Paterno or now like a Robert Kraft, and I'm not trying to say Robert Kraft, Anything that he did is anywhere in the same universe as what happened at sure. Penn State and Joe Paterno. But it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately world. Yep. And if you have a major mishap in the last half quarter of your life, that's what people are going to remember. They're not going to remember all the other stuff. They're going to go, oh, yeah, 
he's a guy that went to the Asian parlor and had <laughs> da 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 da. Or yep, Joe yep. Paterno, he's the one who got fired from Penn State in disgrace. And time and time again, we see this with people in a high profile uh, role. It's funny too, like like you say, like my wife, she likes sports, but. She doesn't know who Robert Kraft is until right. this story comes right. out. And now she knows who Robert Kraft is. Yep. Same with Paternal. Yep. It's like, doesn't know who it is until all of a sudden something bad like this happens. Yeah. All of a sudden everybody knows who it is. Well, it transcends sports. Right. It's not a sports it's story. So, right. you know, I'm, not that I watch the local news that much anymore, but if you turn on like the local network news, this was lead story on right. local network news. So now you're in the transcending sports category. When Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, again, bad look for the Patriots, bad look for the NFL, and certainly a bad look for Robert Kraft. So we'll see how this plays out. All right, coming up next, an interesting interview with Portland Timbers goalkeeper Jeff Atnella. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. When it comes to stadiums and arenas, every sports pro knows wireless wins. And when it comes to the best wireless technology for your venue, look no further than Boingo Wireless. Boingo is the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., providing state-of-the-art Wi-Fi and cellular services that power amazing fan experiences. And Boingo makes keeping your stadium connected easy today and in the future. Thinking about 5G? Boingo's expert team helps you carry the ball through a complex technology landscape to deliver wireless solutions that will delight fans and deepen loyalty season after season. Here's another kicker. Boingo is simply the best connected experience for your business. With Boingo, stadiums and arenas enjoy unique operating efficiencies, revenue opportunities, and digital insights into their fan base. That's a win-win. Boingo works with major league sports venues like Soldier Field, Vivint Smart Home Arena, State Farm Arena, and university stadiums like University of Louisville and K-State. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports. If you would like more information on Boingo Wireless, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. My guest is Jeff Atnella. He is the goalkeeper for the Western Conference champions, Portland Timbers of Major League Soccer. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeff underscore Atnella1. He is also the host of the new from J to Z podcast. Jeff, thanks for joining me. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. This is the first time in the 15-year history of uh, Sports Business Radio that we have an MLS player on the show. So this is uh, pretty big for us. It's pretty big for me, I think. I'm honored. I didn't realize I was the first one. That's pretty cool. So many questions to ask you, but let's start with your own podcast. You're doing this with uh, Zarek Valentin, your teammate, how did you guys come up with the From J to Z podcast idea? Uh, it really started because when we saw our schedule and we saw uh, just how long we were going to be on the road in preseason and then we're starting the first 12 games on the road, uh, we just kind of thought, you know, we needed we needed to do something different than the normal lay in bed and just watch Netflix all day or, you know, read silently to ourselves. So. Uh, we've been good friends here for a few years, and you know we felt like our banter back and forth would be something that would people would keep people engaged. And you know, more than anything, it's just Eric and I are having a good time doing it, and it gives people more of an insight to what it's like in our life and in, in the work environment instead of you know everyone sees us on the soccer field and 
you know, just assumes that we're kind of soccer robots, but especially with Eric and I, that couldn't be further from the truth. So I just think it gives people good insight and it's something that both of us are really enjoying doing. From a technical standpoint, are you guys doing this on your own? Are you doing it with the assistance of the team? More and more athletes are doing podcasts. Some do it with the team. Some do it with like the Ringer Network or Yahoo. How are you guys pulling this off technically? Uh, technically, we have two. We bought two two microphones that we just plug into <laughs> Zarek's computer, and he does a lot of the editing. And we have a couple. We have a couple other Zarek's buddies that are helping us out that have kind of been in the game a little bit longer than us, um, making sure the volume is right and just those little technical things. But no, we just decided we kind of wanted to do it solo, just because we felt like if you if you tie it in with the team or if you tie it in with too many other people that it kind of it could kind of boggle down what you're going to say and we wanted to have the have the freedom to edit and have the freedom to kind of control what we wanted to say because at the end of the day it's you know it's mine and Zarek's opinion and we felt like our opinions are you know we don't want to be edited by that so we're trying to have fun with it and I think so far it's been good now this podcast comes out every Tuesday do you guys have like a set we're going to do this once a week and it's going to come out on this day or do you just do the podcast whenever you have time? I know you had an emergency pod recently to discuss <laughs> Valentine's Day and Zarek's mustache, but uh, how? what's your, your cadence with your podcast? We, we're still trying to figure that out because it, it's one of those things where obviously soccer is number one and um, we, don't want, we don't want anyone to get the impression that us doing a fun podcast is coming at the expense of our jobs, you know, because soccer's obviously number one. But, you know, in the preseason, we've recorded at least five or six different episodes. We've only released three to date. So we have a bunch recorded and ready to go, and we're just trying to drop them when, when you know, it feels appropriate. And maybe as it continues to grow and hopefully our, our base of listeners continue to grow, maybe we can get on more of a regular schedule because uh, people will be looking for it. Is there anyone on your guest list that you're like, I got to have that person on my podcast? Uh, we've talked about a few teammates. Um, you know, we've talked about having, trying to get Valeri on and even just to talk about his music, you know, his passion for music and things like that. And, you know, I think some of the more interesting teammates are guys that we're going to try to interview, but we've also talked about trying to branch out and getting guys from other teams and getting their perspectives and things like that. So I wouldn't say we necessarily have individuals per se that we're targeting, but we have an idea of what we're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that's great about doing a podcast, if you're a current athlete, is you have great access to your teammates and to the athletes on other teams. That is what I notice from the other athletes who do podcasts. Yeah, we're trying, we're trying to open up people's minds to it a little bit more because, you know, we were talking about today, talking about today, and I think we're the first active players to be doing something like this in the MLS. So we're trying to make sure that people are comfortable with us to really open up the way that a podcast can. And I think once we prove that more guys are going to be comfortable with us, then we'll be able to get more interviews than even we probably expected. Now, do you have a crack research staff or are you guys doing all your own research? What kind of prep are you doing for your podcast? I know some guys just sit down and turn on the mic and go. Other people do research. How are you preparing for your podcast? Uh, you know, right now we're just really coming up with topics and different things that we think people would want to hear and just kind of spitballing it and seeing, you know, what we come up with. And a lot of the podcasts, the ideas, Eric's thoughts versus my thoughts or, you know, and just kind of see how the balance is working with that. Um, but as far as like going with interviews moving forward, I think, you know, Wikipedia <laughs> <laughs> using, uh, using that trusty, reliable source, but, you know, the guys on the team, we have a general idea of what we could talk about and what can really be interesting, but, 
when we move forward and interview guys that we might not know as well, then we'll probably have to uh, step up our research game a little bit more than that. Now, the other thing that makes you really interesting in addition to your podcast is you've got a publishing company and you did a book. Uh, it had to be told. And I remember we talked about this last year when I saw you. What motivated you or, or led you to want to do that? Just the idea. Um, you know, I had the idea to write these children's books based on historical sporting events. You know, me, I'm a big sports fan. I'm not just a soccer guy. I'm, I'm a big sports fan of pretty much everything. And these, I, these stories and these sporting events, I just feel like they're moments that need to be passed down to generations because, uh, especially the motivation for the first book was the curse sentence about the Chicago Cubs. And my daughter had just been born. And I remember sitting there thinking, I, my daughter was literally like two weeks old. And I remember sitting there thinking, it's going to be weird that her generation isn't going to know the struggle that I've only known for Cubs fans and that mm. has dated back a hundred years. Yeah. But, you know, they're being born into a world where the Cubs are the World Series champions. And to me, that's just weird. And I think that those traditions and, you know, those big moments in sport fandom and sports history should be passed down to generations. And, you know, with our books, we're really trying to find a unique way to do that. And, you know, I like to kind of say it's the, it's the 30 for 30 of children's books, hmm. you know, something like that. And, you know, so far the response has been really good, and it's, and it's something I really enjoy doing. So it's been a lot of fun. The thing I like, and, and we just talked about this earlier today, but I like that you're looking beyond your soccer career. At what point did that light come on for you where you said, you know, probably not going to be playing soccer forever. I need to start doing some of these things now to build for my post-career. To be honest, it was about two or three years ago. I was sitting in a meeting where someone had come in and spoken to the players union about taking advantage of the opportunity of when your name is still on the jersey. Um, and that really, that really resonated with me because it's not something that you think about. You don't think about your career ending. You don't think about, you know, what you're going to do because you're just so engaged in, in the moment and in the sport that you've been playing your whole life. But when he talked about the idea of, when your name comes off, when your name comes off your jersey and that jersey's off your back, what are people gonna like? What are you gonna do when that happens? And have you prepared yourself and taken advantage of the name on a jersey to the fullest extent so that you are set up for life after? And you know, I'm a guy that has a family, and you know, I always have to be thinking about what's the worst case scenario, and if my career ended today, how have I prepared myself for the next day? Part of my research, correct me if I'm wrong, on you tells me that. Like you have some entrepreneurs in your family. You have some, some business starters in your family. I too have that in my background. I think that led me to kind of get that gene of being an entrepreneur. Has that influenced you? Big time. You know, it's funny because, uh, in my, in my immediate family, my dad is an accountant and, you know, nine to five, very, very good at what he does. And, you know, nine to five type of guy. And, when I got married to my wife, Kendall, and really got to know her family, her family is just built on entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And her dad started a t-shirt company that has been very successful. And, you know, when I see the way that he operates and, you know, just the kind of way that he goes about his day-to-day -day in terms of, you know, not necessarily being on a clock, but being super, super passionate about his businesses and the projects that he's working on, I just felt like that was something I could kind of wrap my head around. And it's been fun learning from him. And he's been a huge help with the book company as well. You know, it was it was our joint idea to do this. And so to try to learn from him and learn the ins and outs of what it takes to truly build a business has been something that I've really enjoyed. 
How long did it take on the book from initial idea to the book is published and it's out available for purchase? You're honestly, you're not going to believe me, but I had the idea on January 1st. It was, I don't know what hit me on that New Year's morning, but we had four books published and ready for sale by June. Oh my God. Yeah. So, so, you know, obviously uh, it was something that we really, really hit the ground running and, and it's been fun. It's, it's been a lot of fun and, you know, we're, we're learning with every, with every passing day, with every passing, you know, week, month, we're learning more ins and outs of the book business, but it was something that we really truly believed in and we just wanted to hit the ground running. So again, uh, from J to Z is the podcast. You can get that on iTunes and Spotify, right? And we're working on iTunes. We're, we're, we keep running into, we keep getting denied by iTunes because I keep, I think, yeah, we're running into some, some technical difficulties, but it'll, it'll be up soon. And that's on, uh, that's on Spotify and it's also on Zarek Valentin's, uh, SoundCloud for now. But iTunes is coming. We're, we're in the process. Okay. And for the book, uh, just it had to be told.com, right? Yeah, so the publishing company is it had to be told and to be honest the easiest way is just through Amazon. We're up on Amazon, we're on Amazon Prime and we have five titles and you could check them out. They're all up there and it's uh the publishing company is it had to be told. All right, let's talk some soccer. Uh I live in Portland as you know, so I get to see firsthand just the rabid fan base that exists for the Timbers. I mean, all your games are sold out. There's a waiting list uh for season tickets. I know you started playing for the team in 2016. When you came to the Timbers and you you stepped into Providence Park for the first time, what did you think? Well, the first time, the first time I stepped in Providence Park, I was playing for Salt Lake, and I remember thinking that that it was just wild. I hadn't I hadn't experienced anything like that, and oddly enough, I wasn't playing much at the time, but it was one of my one of my starts during that year. And I remember them just yelling at me, telling me I was a dodgy keeper. And the fans were just on top of you the entire game. And and it's funny because not a lot of my family are big soccer people. But I remember telling my father-in-law, if you want to fall in love with soccer and what soccer can be, come watch us when we play in Portland. Hmm. Come watch me when we play against Portland, and you'll see an environment that is just so unique and unlike any other place in the sport in the entire country. Um, so now that I'm on the good side of things and the fans and the fans have my back and, you know, they're the ones that are kind of cheering us on and, um, and I'm on that, on that side of it now. It's, you know, it's something that I don't take lightly. I know, I know that life outside of the Timbers is very different, um, in terms of fan bases, in terms of the passion, in terms of how much the city truly cares about it and, you know, to be honest, I'm just really humbled and honored that I get the chance to to be the goalie for the Timbers because it is a really big responsibility. Let's talk about the mentality of being a goalie. Uh, my daughter, 14, is a goalie, so I'm really interested in your, your thoughts on this. But it seems like, you know, much like kicker in the NFL or punter, like you have to have a different mentality. And I think to be a goalie from where I sit, you have to be pretty fearless. And, and be willing to do anything to keep that ball from going in the net. But give me your thoughts on kind of the mentality of being a goalie. A goalkeeper's mentality. Um, you know, I think it really just comes down to the ability to have really thick skin, um, the ability to, to kind of be able to block out all of the noise and really just focus on your craft and try to, as you said, obviously you want to do everything everything to keep the ball out of the net, but 
you know, being a goalkeeper is more mental than it is than it is physical. I think, you know, there are a lot of really good physical goalies, and you know, you'll see it growing up. You see it everywhere that that there's goalies that can make saves. But for me, it's how do you respond when your back's against the wall? How do you respond when you make that big mistake in a in a big game? And you know, to make sure that you're strong enough and you have enough belief in yourself that it's not going to happen again, and you're not going to let that type of moment weigh you down. So for me, goalkeeping is so much more mental than it is, you know, making saves. Because anyone can make saves. You know, you could train yourself to make saves in a game. But it's really about how, how do you respond when things aren't going well. Because, you know, as a goalie, there's only so much we can do. And, you know, if you do make a mistake, it's, you know, it's super highlighted. And as I said, you need to have thick skin. But at the end of the day, it's your job to keep the ball in the net. And everyone makes mistakes. So you've got to be able to understand that as well. Take us inside your mind when it's PKs. I mean, I know against Seattle in the the Western Conference Finals comes down to to PKs. I've watched, you know, World Cup, and it's just you and the striker. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'm sure you've watched tendencies or maybe you've done some scouting in advance if it comes down to PKs. But it seems like you have such a short amount of time from, like, when regulation ends to PKs are starting now. What's going through your mind and what strategies are you employing or is it just 100% like gut instinct? I think it's a combination of a little bit of everything. Um, you would mentioned Seattle. So so in the moment of Seattle, I think when there's two or three minutes left in, in overtime, you start, you start kind of wrapping your head around what the moment's going to be. And, you know, obviously you're still focused on the game, but you kind of know what's coming around the corner. Um, so it's more about just getting yourself mentally prepared to be in that moment because especially in a place like Seattle, there's 40,000 plus people on hand and a lot of people watching and, you know, it's you versus shooter and the cameras are on you and the lights are on you. And at the end of the day for me, I just try to do my best to read tendencies and really spend the time before the penalty shootout starts building up my own confidence, you know, kind of getting it into my head that, you know, I may not save them all, but I'm going to save one or I'm going to save two, and it's going to make a really big difference. So at least for me, it's more about reading. You read tendencies, you study, you read those different things. But then at the end of the day, if you go to a penalty shootout as a goalie and you're not confident that you're going to make saves, the odds are that they're going to score more times than not. So just really building up your own self-confidence that, you know, no matter what happens, you believe that you're going to save everyone. And if you get your hand on one, then it's a it's a cool moment to be a hero, which doesn't happen much for goalies. When you were a kid, at what point did you say, not only do I want to play soccer, but I want to be goalie? Because, again, I think all the things that you just described, it takes a certain type of person mm-hmm. to say, I want to be goalie. So I started playing goalie when I was eight years old. And it's funny because the reason I ended up playing goalie was because the coach asked who thought they could, who's played other sports. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was, I was playing baseball at the time. I was playing basketball. So I just raised my hand and thought, you know, I could probably be a goalie. I've done these other things and uh, they all involved my hands. And I had a, I had a youth coach when I was nine years old and my parents begged him to get me out of goal because, you know, all the kids were having all the other fun and, you know, the goalie isn't having that much fun. And, you know, we're getting scored on and all those different things that come with being a goalie. And it was funny, at that at that age, he was a goalie himself, my coach was. At that age, he saw in me that I had the personality to be a goalie, and he wouldn't let me out of the net. He told my parents that, 
listen, you know, Jeff could be an okay soccer player, but Jeff is a goalie, period. So instead of trying to fight, trying to fight that, you should be doing everything you can to turn him into a better goalie because he has the mentality of a goalie and not a field player. So for young players or parents or even coaches, when you have a player who's young, like what are those traits that are the traits of a goalie? I just think, you know, especially at a young age, you just, you just see a leadership, more of a leadership mentality, mm-hmm. more of a guy that isn't afraid to voice his, more of a kid that isn't afraid to voice his opinion. But also, as I said, just a kid who, who has thick skin and who wants to be, who wants to be in the pressure of those moments. And instead of running away from it, they fully embrace it. Because at the end of the day, you know, you make a mistake as a goalie, the ball ends up in the back of the net and, it could, it could cost, your, cost your team games. It could cost your team a lot of different things if you make a mistake. But as a goalie, you got to be able to embrace that pressure and really, you know, instead of running from it, try your best to thrive in those moments. And I think that if you see that in a young kid, you know, instead of because a lot of parents will have their kids run away from being a goalie, but if you see that in your kid, just embrace it because it is a unique thing. And for me, you know, I think that the traits that I've developed as a goalie are something that are going to carry me way past soccer. I want to talk for a few minutes about the overall health of MLS. Um, one of the interesting stats that I saw recently was there were more people in attendance at your match against Atlanta in the MLS Cup than there were in Atlanta for the Super Bowl between the Rams and the Patriots. It's pretty telling. Um, Major League Soccer is certainly on an upswing. But from a player's perspective, how have you seen growth? I think kind of just like you said, you know, a team like Atlanta has come into the league and, you know, moved the bar that much higher. Um, You know, I think Portland, Portland, Seattle and the teams, the expansion teams from before that have been very successful, moved the bar in a in a very, very dramatic upward direction of where teams need to be. And, you know, Atlanta is kind of setting the bar that much higher by selling out, you know, one of the best facilities in the entire in the entire world, even. And as it, as the league continues to grow and as teams are, are seeing what Atlanta has done and, you know, what can truly become the MLS if you have ownership that wants to actually invest in it and, you know, really try to make it successful, I kind of think the sky's the limit because you're seeing, you're seeing it in Atlanta in a place where, you know, soccer, like, why is it, why is soccer doing so well in Atlanta? I have no, like, I have no idea. I'm from the South. It's, you know, it's basketball, it's football, it's, it's not soccer. But for some reason, whatever they're doing in Atlanta is really resonating with people and people are showing up. So I think as more owners are seeing that and as more people want to buy into the league, that they're laying down a blueprint. And, you know, if that can continue to grow and that's what the league becomes, then, you know, the sky's the limit. Just a few minutes left. Whenever I talk to an elite athlete like yourself, I like to ask about rest and recovery. What are you doing to, I mean, you're playing a lot of games. Your season is pretty lengthy. What do you do personally to get back, you know, healthy and, and the rest and recovery? I, I've talked to some athletes recently, you know, with the sleep thing has been a big thing and they're wearing the blue light glasses and um, all these different things, diet, obviously. But what do you do specifically to keep in shape? For me, you know, obviously you want to eat right and do those sorts of things, but the Timbers, to be fair, the Timbers have invested a lot of money and a lot of time in their sports science. And, you know, for me, every it seems like every week or every time I come back to the training room, there's something new that has been discovered or there's something new that they're trying. And for me, you know, I'm just open to anything. I think, um, you know, 
four or five years ago, all, all I was doing was foam rolling and hope, foam oh. rolling and stretching, you know, and hoping that, and hoping that that was good enough. But as sports science c- continues to evolve and, you know, the Timbers have done a really good job of investing in that and trying to keep us healthy. You know, I spend as much time as I can just doing what the trainers are telling me because, you know, at the end of the day, they're the experts and I can't even pretend to, pretend to guess what they know. So what they tell me to do, I just, honestly, I just follow blindly and, you know, and assume that it's, it's the best thing I could be doing for myself. What's your go-to meal on game day? Uh, on game day, it just depends. Usually some form of chicken or something, but for home games, my wife cooks up a mean chicken parm the night before, and that uh, that's kind of turned into tradition. It started last year, and I had a really good season last year, so she uh, she kind of set herself up to be cooking me a lot of chicken parm, and when we get all those, we have a ton of home games on the tail end, so she'll be she'll be making a lot of chicken parm towards the end of the year. But that's been my, that's been my go-to. Yeah, the stadium's being renovated, which is exciting. But you guys start out on the road for a while. Uh, how does that impact things? It'll be challenging. You know, um, I'm not going to lie and say that it's going to be an easy thing and that, you know, there's a reason that teams mix in home and away games throughout the season because to be traveling that long, is it's going to be difficult. And I think what people need to understand is traveling isn't dif- just difficult because you're playing an away game. It's difficult because you're away from your family. It's difficult because you're flying on flights across the country. You're sleeping in hotels. You're... You're just not in your comfortable environment, so so it, it'll definitely be challenging. But at the end of the day, it's you know it is what it is. That's the way the schedule is laid out, and we're going to have to do the best we can to collect as many points as possible. Last question: uh, I know you're a, a Tampa guy, and you went to college uh, in Florida. When it's all said and done for you, we've already talked about your podcast, we've talked about your publishing company, but uh, I know that's a special area of the country to you. Do you see yourself back in Florida? I do, but, you know, if I've learned anything from my career is, you know, what's the saying? Like, if you make, if you make plans, then, then God laughs, or God laughs in your face or something like that. I don't know. I'm butchering it, but, you know, I'd like to end up in Florida. I think it's important. Um, I want my daughter to grow up around her family, which, you know, my family's in Florida and my wife's family is in Florida, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, life takes you a lot of, a lot of different places and you never really, you never really know where you're going to end up. But, you know, Tampa is a place that's close to my heart. And if, even if it turns out that I just go there for the winners, that wouldn't be a bad, uh, bad alternative either. <laughs> Jeff Atnella, the goalkeeper for the Western Conference champion, Portland Timbers. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeff underscore Atnella one. Thanks for joining us. No, oh, thanks for having me. It was fun. Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Bringing you the biggest names in sports business. Without further ado, we all know this gentleman. Let's give David Stern a big round of applause. Let's welcome the president of the NCAA, Mark Emmert. Give him a hand. Let's give a big hand to USC alum and co-owner of the Lakers and president of the Lakers, Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. Thank you so, so much for having me, Brian. It was very, very kind, and I really enjoyed it. Thank you, sir. Sir Charles, how are you? I'm doing good, man. How you doing this morning? Today's guest is Memphis Grizzlies head coach David Fisdale. You're the man, Bart. My guest is tennis icon Chris Albert. It was very interesting. You asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian. Pleased to welcome to the show... 
Kyrie Irving, the number one pick in the 2011 NBA Draft. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be joined by Pete Carroll, the executive VP of football operations and the head football coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Coach, how are you? Doing good. What's going on? Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. Thanks to Hadley Heck. She's a student athlete at Portland State University, and she's our new Sports Business Radio intern. I want to welcome ZipRecruiter to our family of sponsors. Again, really happy to have them on board. My listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash SBR. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash SBR. Happy to have them on board. And thanks again to our new partner, the Robinhood app. Robinhood is giving our listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at sbradio.robinhood.com. That's sbradio.robinhood.com. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated in the top 50 business news podcasts. You can also find our show on Boom via the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps, and, of course, at sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. Follow us on Instagram at sportsbusinessradio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio.